This is Ready Radio, preparing you to be ready for anything. Now, here's your survival guide for Ready Radio, John Rush. All right, it is Ready Radio, KLZ 560, live program today, by the way, which we typically try to do as many of those as we can. But if you're listening to a replay of this, you know it is July the 21st. We've got a very special guest joining us right now, William or Bill Fortune is with us, back with us, I should say. Bill, welcome back. How are you, sir? Oh, it's a pleasure to be with you. How are things out in uh, Denver? Today? We're doing very well. We've had a actually fairly uh, rainy and cool summer. We had a little bit of heat here for a couple of weeks, and then it's kind of cooled back off again, going to heat back up some. But we have not had what a lot of the rest of the country has had. Well, at least you're not in Phoenix. <laughs> uh, yeah, we are not in Phoenix. Uh, I've actually, actually got family, wife's families in Phoenix, and yes, it gets hot in Phoenix, as you know. And related to our topic, imagine being in Phoenix with no power. Mm, good point. Yeah. Good point. Yes. Yeah, and Night you know, and, and, and kicking us off on the right <laughs> foot here, by the way, and everybody listening, maybe you've heard uh, Bill with me before. If not, uh, he is a military historian, a renowned expert on you know EMP strikes, has written a series of books, the first one being One Second After. We've got a new book coming out here. I say we. He has a new book coming out in the not-too-distant future here, actually next month, five years after. I encourage you to read the entire series of books. Bill, on top of that, you've done a lot of other work outside of even that area, correct? Well, yeah. Uh, you know, I started writing back in the late 70s. I was I worked for Boys Life for many years. You know, contributor there, writing okay. for the Boy Scouts. Okay. Wrote a lot of science fiction, then went to graduate school, and finally drifted into history and from there into issues of technology. Well, uh, your books are excellent. They're well-written. For those of you listening, they're very easy to read and understand, and they, they really grip you, and you don't really want to put them down i will i will say that <laughs> i'll say that firsthand and and i i enjoy them a lot and it's been a, a great um how should i say this we've had a great time on air i consider you a friend we've really had a joy you know going back and forth and i've learned a ton from you i know our listeners have as well in fact we had some listeners last week on the program talking about you and i said well it'll just so happen i'm going to do my best to have him on this next week and here you are okay where do you want to start? You know what? First of all, talk about five years after. I know that book's coming out next month. I want to make sure we give that plenty of time. Talk about it, how folks can order it, and so on. Well, uh, I think the title sort of says the whole story. It picks up my story about, you know, post-EMP commun- you know, town. And, boy, stuttering here. Okay, I need more coffee. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. All good. I just woke up from a nap about 10 minutes You're ago. fine. Post-EMP, um, my stories are set in a small town, my hometown in western North Carolina. So by obviously by the title, it's uh, what is happening to this town five years after as they struggle to, to survive in a basically a world without electricity five years later. It's it's a post, you know, it's not apocalyptic, that's not the right way to say it, but it's a yeah. a post-era when literally the lights, you know, say it for, you know, I don't know how else to say it, Bill, the lights went out, it did not come back on immediately, which is exactly what happens, or would happen, I should say, an EMP strike on 
America because of the way our grid functions and so on. We can get into a little bit of that maybe as we go throughout the, the time we have. We've done that in the past, but we always have new listeners that listen. And the other thing I need to be reminded of, Bill, is as we're here in Colorado, we have a lot of tourists. There may be people even driving through our state right now that have never heard us before. Those of you listening, by the way, you can listen to us at any time. Just get the app, klzradio.com. You can go to the website, ready-radio.com, and listen to some of these interviews we've had with Bill in the past as well. But, Bill, I always have to remind myself, this time of the year, especially in Colorado, like you, we have a lot of travelers that come in and out of our state. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just saw a news item today that uh, the state of California is contemplating that maybe in our future we're going to have to accept as citizens rolling blackouts yeah. because the power grid is overstressed. And the argument settled on a power plant, gas-fired, which they want to take offline. You know, as we go more and more towards uh, so-called green energy, we're right. becoming more and more vulnerable. We, we are. I appreciate you saying that. And as you know, we are very much on the same page in that. And that is not the answer, as we know. We, you know, there's, there's not one answer, by the way. I think it's a, a combination of, of numerous things. But taking a gas plant offline or even a coal plant offline right now, given we don't have the replacement necessary, we're not building nuclear plants near fast enough. There's only, one, I think, one that's come online uh, in the past decade or more, and we've taken some offline, as you know, as well. The reality is we we just don't have enough capacity. And then on top of that, we, we don't have the, the wherewithal with the grid itself. In, in other words, we've got components in the grid right now that are, Bill, I'm, I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say that. We've probably got components that are pushing 30 to 50 years. Am I correct in saying that? Absolutely, yes. You know, a DOE study of some years ago indicated that the average component in our electrical grid is 40 to 50 years old. Okay. We're, pump, we're pumping electricity in 2023 on a system that, in large part, dates back to the 1970s, 1980s. Right. When, when and, a, lot of the, a lot of expansion was going on, we were doing all sorts of things. That's when a lot of that was invested and, and built out, if you would. And to, to your point, I mean, yes, I know there's new neighborhoods and new areas that go in and they put new infrastructure in those areas. But that's not the high power lines and the infrastructure carrying things to, you know, the inner part of that city or even the outer part of that city in the first place, substations and the like. Right. Well, yeah, the population in the United States has increased over 100 million since, I think, 1980. And yet we're not upgrading our capacity to generate modernizing it, making it more uh, secure against EMP, or even all the cyber attacks, or as we had here in North Carolina, somebody with a high-power rifle, mm-hmm. shoot half a dozen rounds, can shut down a substation that powers 100,000 people. And, so, and, and, and also, Bill, one thing you and I, we've touched on this, but really haven't spent a lot of time on it, is just the degradation of the of the grid in and of itself as components break. And granted, there's crews around and so on. But I've taught I've known some of those individuals on a one on one basis. And those guys will tell you that, you know, they're they're yelling and screaming and hollering about the things they need. And frankly, Bill, we're not equipping them properly to even get the things replaced that are needed. You know, uh, last month I, I talked with a, a large group, uh, Energy Consortium South Carolina, and, and a lot of linemen were there for this meeting. And as almost everyone said, uh, the line I kept hearing was, we're holding this system together with prayers, yep. spit, and band-aids. That's right. 
That's right. I, I, I know some of those individuals, uh, Bill. Again, being at the, you know, I came out of the automotive world for all those years, and we had fleet clients and so on, and we had – you know, I was I happened to be in the in the four wheel drive off road industry, and we did all sorts of you know repair work and fix up stuff, and we did things for the Forest Service and the power company and so on. So I got to know a lot of the people that you're talking about. This is even some fifteen twenty years ago, Bill. It was right. bad then. It hasn't gotten any yes. better. Well, uh, you know, an analogy I give. Well, let me ask this question first. Where do you think 90% of our primary components come from? That's China. obvious. China. That's some question. Yeah. Yeah. That's a $1 uh, prize on Jeopardy. Yeah, China. Uh, an analogy I give is it's like it's December 7th, 1941, meeting with the president, and somebody in the Joint Chiefs of Staff points out, Mr. President, we got a real problem here tonight. All our aircraft carriers are made in Japan. All our fighter planes are made. In Germany, what are we going to do? Mm-hmm. We have farmed out mm-hmm. potentially an enemy, the vast majority of our, our primary systems, which can take two to three years for a large component mm-hmm. to be replaced. Let me add one more thing to your analogy a minute ago. And we're sitting on the beach sipping coffee, wondering what's going to happen next. <laughs> well, there's a tsunami coming in. Am I right? <laughs> You're absolutely right. I mean, that's exactly what we're doing. We're kicking back, sipping coffee, hoping you know, hoping everything's going to be okay and enjoying life as it is right now. That's what we're doing. Yeah, and we're saying the tide's gone out. What the heck is going on here? Mm-hmm. What was the big wave? That's right. This is a this situation that we're in at this moment. Well, you've said it before with, with you being on with me, and I've said this. I've, I've grabbed this and said the same thing. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when, and are people going to be ready for that? When you've got places like California and other states talking about, you know, mandatory rolling blackouts, and people are just kind of sitting back saying, oh, okay, well, you know, I guess when that day comes, I'll I'll handle that. And, you know, if I were in those areas where they're talking about those mandatory things, I'd be getting either some power wall uh, items going or a generator or both. I mean, you do whatever you can to make sure that if that happens, you're still online. Well, you know, we're all susceptible, we, we all are, to what I would call the expectation and normalcy. Mm-hmm. Everything worked yesterday, it's still working today. Obviously, it's going to work tomorrow, right? Well, that's not. That's what they all think, or that's what the majority of people think. And, and, and Bill, I, wanted, I was going to run this past you. My wife and I, we were talking about this last week, and I, I don't know why, probably because of what I do here daily. And we were talking, I'm like, you know, Here's my observation of just where we're at as a society here in the United States of America, especially. I think this is true for other countries, but here in the United States of America. Bill, I, I don't consider myself to have a high IQ. I'm just kind of an average old ordinary guy, never went to college, somehow figured out how to make it in this world without all of the education because I guess my dad gave me some common sense and I learned that along the way. But my point is... Most people come out of the womb with a pretty average IQ. Yes, you could have a disability and have a low IQ. And yes, you could be a a savant and have a very, very high IQ. But on average, people have a relatively, you know, relative average IQ. Unfortunately, Bill, we, through our education system and what we do in the society, lower that IQ and dumb it down to where it lowers itself over time instead of going the other way. (laughs) <laughs> I'm a college professor, uh, and I, I'm not, you know, talking down about my kids, all right? I have wonderful kids at Montreal College. 
my first day in class with, you know, a room full of freshmen, I just started asking them questions. When was the War of Independence? What year was the Declaration? When did they fight the Civil War? 90% of my students will sit there sort of blank. Mm. I'm not blaming them. What I am blaming is the few kids who can answer are homeschooled. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Our public education system, thank God, we, and maybe we're off topic here, but thank God more and more schools are finally going to school choice. Yep. To fight back right. against the union. No, I, you know, Bill, I think it's right on topic because unless we get people to really start thinking for themselves and being critical thinkers in that process, keeping their IQ at the same rate it was when they were born, this all applies as far as I'm concerned. Well, you know, as for myself, I couldn't even spell author. Now I am one. You know, <laughs> I, I, I don't see myself as having great brains or anything. I worked hard. You know, I went Likewise. back to graduate school. The 30s, 30s, but it's the dumbing down of our entire society scares the hell out of me. Well, and my because, point with that and why I wanted to go there is we start talking about the grid and what you said a moment ago about how everybody's expectation is it will just work tomorrow. It, it doesn't matter all of these other factors that you and I are talking about, and it's as plain as day when you even drive by some of these things and look at the age of some of the equipment we're operating off of. It doesn't take much to figure out where we are, but because of that dumbing down, people just, they assume the light switch is going to come on and work. Well, you know, standard quite, you know, when I do some other interviews, I mean, you're on top of it. But, you know, the standard 10, 15-minute interview I do almost every day, and we talk about EMP and how we lose our water supply. And I'll, I'll ask, where did your water come from this morning? Well, it came out of the faucet. How did it get to your faucet? <laughs> right. Give me a minute. <laughs> no, it's a bit exaggerated, but things like that. We don't know how the fundamentals of our system work. No. But beyond that, all of it is dependent upon electricity. That's right. No electricity, nothing works. Yeah, I mean, I, I was thinking about this the other day. Even... Places like Colorado, where we have a lot of gravity-fed systems as far as how mm -hmm. our water is because of our Rocky Mountains that are above us and so on. We're very fortunate that way. We don't have to pump a lot of things. There are pumps and things like that, of course, but in general, most of ours is gravity-fed. Even with the gravity-fed bill, we have these filtration plants, if you would, these yep. water treatment plants that all run off electricity that if they go down, the water's not moving. Well, beyond that, you know, I, I talk about that Maslow's hierarchy of needs when it comes to electricity. It shuts down our water, our food supply shuts that down. Average town has only about 20 days worth of food on hand. Medication is gone. Nursing homes turn into nightmares. Imagine mm. being in Phoenix today mm. if the power is off and you're an elderly person in a nursing home. You're Women done. Die. Yeah, you're done. So we don't connect these things together and go, my God, electricity is the most important element out there. It's ubiquitous. We don't think about it, but it's there. We have to start preparing to make it a better system, a modernized system, and more EMP-proof. We're not doing any of that. No, we're not, and I know that's a big part of what you've tried to do even on a national basis. I'm just a local radio host. I interview a lot of different people. I try my best to push these things out and hopefully have some 
influence. But but honestly, Bill, this is going to take a collaboration of a lot of individuals, including those that are in Washington, D.C., and those on a state level to start pushing this up and making something happen. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to say, though, we're more worried about whether or not we can pay for a transgender surgery in the military and yeah. or offending somebody that might be transgender. Uh, you know, the previous administration, about three months before the end of that administration, had mandated that there was to be a major evaluation of the electrical grid through DOD, DOE, et cetera, particularly in relationship to EMP. Guess, of course, who shut that study down the day they went into office? We're now spending a trillion dollars on green energy. Yep. What's green energy compared to the fundamental basics, which we are rapidly seeing deteriorate and not replacing? That is a scary scenario. On top of that, even with... Okay, let's just say that there was a green energy that worked. I, I always hate you always you couch it well, and so do I. It, it really isn't green, but that's the name. That, it's like Kleenex. It's the name that's used, so we'll use it. It's actually everything but green, but that's another conversation for another day. But let's just say that it works. That is the alternative, and windmills and panels and all of these other devices that they're coming up with really is the answer. Bill, that still doesn't... That still doesn't fix the problem of the old infrastructure we have coast to coast. Dare I say, Nuke? I mean, there to me is the future. Agree. And a hell of a progression since Three Mile Island shut the nuke industry down basically in 1978. Small, clean nuclear generating systems that can provide power for a couple hundred thousand people, they can be made. They've been powering our nuclear subs. I was just going to say, we use them on subs and aircraft carriers and have been doing that for a very long time. Without incident. That's right. We're not, we're not doing that. Or, yes, let's use propane and other things. But to rely upon a solar panel when it might go dark. Right. And, of course, look at the recycling costs on windmills. Yep. Windmills alone, it, it's terrifying. These huge windmills... <laughs> They shut down after five to ten years. How do you replace them? You can't. You, can't you don't even recycle. You you put a new one. If you're going to do anything, you put a new one up. Or in some cases, they just come down. Bill, I look at the nuclear. You know, bear with me here because you're old enough to remember this. But I look at the nuclear power end of things a lot like diesel cars, not trucks, but diesel cars. In America, let me explain. When I was a young kid growing up in my family dealership, I was in a Buick and GMC truck dealership. And I remember when the Oldsmobile converted gas engine that was actually a diesel was in a lot of Oldsmobile Cadillacs, Buicks and the like. And it was this great new technology. It was going to be the power of the future for these cars and blah, blah, blah. And they were a pile of junk. I'm just going to say that straight up. Brand new. They were a pile of junk. And unfortunately, because they were so bad it soured people on diesel technology in general. Unless you were driving a truck, most people wanted nothing to do with them. It's still a lot that way today, Bill, because they have this memory in their mind of how bad things were with that particular engine. I look at Three Mile Island doing the exact same, or Chernobyl or others, and granted, those aren't great examples because lots of things went wrong, especially in the foreign countries. But my, my point is, they were soured at one point in time and unfortunately still haven't gotten over that in the lefties have used that to their advantage fully well you know i remember well it was two days ago on july 19 1969 
And the old analogy, more people have died in the back of Ted Kennedy's car than died at Three Mile Island. Yeah, good point. Good point. You know. Good point. Whatever happened at Three Mile Island, nobody was killed, no long-term effects. Right. And, well, I've always had a question about this. Why was it when gas was 50 cents a gallon, diesel fuel was 40 cents a gallon, and now diesel fuel is a dollar more per gallon than gasoline. You can thank the, you, you can thank the EPA, and that being a car guy, I can answer that one. Thank the EPA okay. and the low sulfur diesel that we now have to have in this country, which takes a higher refining process with the diesel fuel itself. Which, by the way, is is and it's not a byproduct of gasoline. That's another misconception everybody has. Diesel fuel is refined on its own because we've taken right. that sulfur out. It's got it's more costly for the refineries. Okay, that explains it. I've never, I've always wondered that. Every time I see diesel advertised on the interstate, it's like four thirty a gallon. Yep. I've always wondered why, why is it so much more. Yeah. The, the other that? thing that we that most people don't know, and and great question by the way. And, it, and by the way, this comes into a lot of what we talk about as well because diesel. Most people don't understand this, but because diesel actually has a lower shelf life than gasoline they make it in different batches than they do gasoline gasoline for the most part has got a pretty high shelf life and we run through it pretty quickly because it's the majority of fuel that's used coast to coast because diesel is used mainly by you know construction and farm and the trucking industry they make it in different batches per se they they sort of if you would estimate the amount of gallons that will be used or the amount of barrels i guess you could say that need refined over the next quarter and they make it accordingly and if they miss that any way, shape, or form, and there's a little bit of a shortage, it will also drive up the price of diesel fuel. That's why it fluctuates more than gasoline. Curious, because I, I, you finally answered a question I've had for years. So again, let's thank the EPA. Thank the EPA. That's exactly who to thank. All right, I got to take a quick timeout. We're going to come right back again. If you've got a, te- a, a, a question, by the way, for Bill, uh, let me know. Text me that question. I'll get it answered as soon as we come back. Uh, William is what his real name, but Bill, of course, Bill Forstian, and I feel like we can call him Bill because we've become good friends by doing this program over and over again. And I appreciate him joining us. Five years after, that's a new book coming out. You can pre-order it on Amazon right now. And just look up his name as, a, as the author or that title. You'll find it either or. And we'll have links up on our website for that as well. So we'll be right back. Ready-radio.com. Don't forget Alan Stack, Stack Optical, who might be joining me tomorrow on my programs in the morning. And for Drive Radio, Fix It Radio and Drive Radio tomorrow. But he can take care of all of your eye care needs. Stack Optical, 303-321-1578. In such an uneasy and unpredictable time that we live in, growing your own food is becoming a necessity. Colorado Greenhouse Builders is a local family-owned and operated business that specializes in custom cedar greenhouses. Owners Jason and Annette have over 35 years of construction management experience and have built multi-million dollar greenhouse structures all over the country. Colorado Greenhouse Builders is one of the few companies that specializes in geothermal heating. Geothermal heating utilizes the sun's light and heat to create an amazing year-round growing opportunity. Their geothermal heating has proven to be a gardener's dream, even in our cold Colorado winters. They can provide a custom consultation that includes an evaluation of your site and then provide recommendations and a custom plan for all your growing needs. Call Colorado Greenhouse Builders at 720-539-9806 or find them at ready-radio.com. That's ready-radio.com. Summer hailstorms have returned with a bang, leaving roofs across the front range in need of repair or replacement. 
you need to know what options will be best for your home. Here at Roof Savers Colorado, we pride ourselves in helping homeowners maintain their roofs through hail or shine. We work with any insurance company to get your damaged roof the replacement it needs. However, if you are looking to get more life out of your current roof, we also offer a 100% plant-based rejuvenation treatment that gives new roof performance without all the new roof costs. With over 20-plus years of roofing experience, we believe in helping you determine the right solution for your situation and through every season. If you think your roof has been a victim of hail, contact us to set up your free inspection and receive an honest evaluation about the condition of your roof. Call today at 303-710-6916. That's 303-710-6916. Or go to RoofSaversCO.com to keep a durable roof over your head. Do you know that your windshield is getting more expensive to replace? Most vehicles have options that help keep the vehicles from avoiding accidents or even keep it in the traffic lane. These windshields require more than just a replacement of the glass. They also require a calibration of the computer system to make sure everything is operational to the specifications the manufacturer set when the vehicle was built. You can't trust the traveling glass replacement shop to do these necessary calibrations as they require special equipment and in most cases an indoor shop to perform the calibration. We have two Novus locations that can replace your windshield and also do these calibrations. Novus Fort Collins and Novus Sterling. Both are fully equipped with the latest technology to service your vehicle properly. Find either location by going to any of our websites, ready-radio.com, drive-radio.com, or fixitradio.com. Just click on the Novus link. That's Novus Autoglass. All right, we are back. Ready Radio, KLZ 560. Thanks for listening again. Uh, William or Bill Forstian joining us today, and he is the author of a new book, by the way, Five Years After, that coincides with all of the other books previous to it, starting with One Second After. Bill, uh, I just saw a meme that I thought you would enjoy, and it's very fitting for what we just talked about a little bit ago. A paper straw in a plastic wrapper is the green movement in a single picture. I just saw that, uh, you know, earlier today. Yeah, <laughs> it's crazy some of the things we, we, we do that we buy into. You know, sit there and go, wait a minute, that's pretty darn stupid. Yep, yep. All right. <laughs> and by the way, th- I, I, you know, I was very, um, very glad to help you out with the diesel fuel question because I have learned so much from you in the books that I have read that if I can give you a little bit of, you know, tidbit of information back that help you, I'm happy to do so. Well, what would be your choice of vehicles now? Well, and that's a big that's a thank you. That's a big topic, by the way. For an end of you know, a kind of an end of the road scenario, we're talking about EMPs and so on. I want something pre-computerized. I wouldn't really really care whether it's diesel powered or gas powered. Either or works fine. Um, bottom line is you just have to make sure that whatever electronics it would have, and hopefully none, you've got the ability to either harden those or have spare parts to get the vehicle back up and running. Because I am one that feels like the majority of vehicles with any kind of electronics on them will not run, period. Well, according to, yeah, I'll tell you a great study. It was done about 20 years ago. Some bright brain in the government decided we're going to test about 40 vehicles keep upgrading the electromagnetic pulse that's impacting them until they start to short out. 
Did you ever hear this study? I have heard this story, and I you explained it. You know, and again, we've got new <laughs> listeners every time we do it, so keep going because you explained it to me like I've never heard before, and it makes total sense. Okay, because you can generate a small EMP field. Uh, the big one, of course, as you know, we need we you need a nuke to do right. it above the Earth's Right. So they jacking up the the lay down of an EMP, and finally it started shorting a couple of the cars out. At which point, the study stopped. The reason why? These were all rental cars, and they had to take them back to the dealership. And they would have been all ruined had you kept that thing going. And you would think, why don't you just take 40 government-owned cars from 10 years ago? But, oh, no, we, we can't do something like that. Yeah, let's take cars that are going to probably go to the auction anyways, and let's do the study with those to really determine what's going to happen. I, again, I know enough about the electronics the chips, the brains, if you would, Bill, that are in the majority of modern cars dating all the way back to the mid-80s even. And when you, in fact, you could look at a, a module even on a GM HEI, uh, you know, ignition system from 73 up, uh, became prevalent in 74. Even those, I think, are going to have issues. Well, you know, the, the, the public awareness of this, uh, I, I was on a radio show recently, and the guy, you know, he's a very smart guy, and we were debating how many cars would shut down in a large EMP event, meaning a nuclear attack. I've heard figures as high as 90% of cars made after 1985. He's citing it could be as low as 5 to 10%. No, said, okay. I don't agree. Go on your beltway at 4.30 in the afternoon, lose 10% of the cars. Well, that's true, what too. Happened? Yeah, good point on that yeah, one. Well, you're going to jam up anyhow. You're, yeah, you're, you're that's true, be- too. No, that, that's a great point. Even in that scenario, even if that were the case, which, by the way, I, I'd like to know who the automotive expert is that's saying that only 10% of the vehicles will not be running. I, I'd like to meet that person because evidently they've never worked on late model vehicles. I, I think it was that guy uh, with, uh, he was more in the nuke area, the government but he was caught stealing some women's luxury uh, items and luggage and stuff. I think that's the guy who did it. That's the guy. Okay, got it, got it. Uh, um, let's just say that, again, knowing – now, I will say this. There are, I believe, some components on some vehicles because of the way they're cased where I think some of those will be okay. The problem is, as you know, those those components are still plugged into – antennas or you know sorry they're plugged into wires and harnesses which then become antennas for the emp so even though the unit itself may be shielded what it's connected to is not which i think in turn still fries it well you know that that's the big thing with an emp people ask me well, well how does that impact the energy grid well when that emp hits basically it's an, like an electrostatic discharge that cascades down to the earth's surface after detonation of a nuke above the Earth's atmosphere, all of the millions upon millions of miles of wiring also serve as antennas. Right. They up the overload and feed it through the grid, increasing in power until the grid finally just shuts just down. Just goes kapoof. Yeah. So uh, you, you might be okay if you pulled all the plugs in your house and all that before an event, but how many of us would be aware of the event you before it happened? You wouldn't. Same thing yeah. on your car. You know, and by the way, even on a car, to to reach all of the areas in the, in most cases, the 
you know, tens to sometimes hundred of modules that are on a vehicle to sit there and be able to unplug all of those and then get all those plugged back in again, Bill, the average person has no ability to do that. <laughs> you've got to be a computer genius to work on cars. Yeah, the majority of people, and, and most people would even say, well, you know, my, my, you know, my main computer box, you know, it's, it's, it's inside of an aluminum case, and it's, it's you know, in quote-unquote hardened. And it's like, yeah, but the harness going into it isn't. That's all it takes. So to That's me, as a, again, a car guy, and a lot of people would say, well, it's, you know, there's, you know, an, a, a shield around all of that called the body of the car. Yeah, well, the underside of the car uh, is still open and not protected. And frankly, that's where it's coming from anyways. It's not coming from the sky. It's coming up from the bottom. Correct. So it doesn't matter wh- whether it's inside of a quote-unquote shell. I've seen some of these EMP blankets you can put on a vehicle. The thing I see with those, and the reason why I wouldn't buy one of those is, again, they're shielding the top side, doing nothing for the bottom. Well, you know, that that a lot of people are coming out with products now that they claim are EMP-proof. Uh, you see them online. I'm going to be going to a major conference tomorrow. There'll be people there selling this stuff. But how reliable is it really? Particularly things like solar panels. I don't know if you can secure those or not. I would, so, I would venture to guess you can't. Because you're exposed directly. You'd have to be able to shunt those like EMP Shield and some of the other devices do. That'd be the only other way you'd be able to protect some of those devices, in my opinion. is Basically take that energy and do something else with it. Direct it somewhere else out of the, the component is, what, is probably the best way for me to say that. You know, I remember years ago when I started on this book, you know, one of the first people I interviewed was the chief of police. Told him that the event happened. What do you do next? He picked the phone up and he said, blank, blank, the phones are dead. And I said, yeah. I said, what else is dead? Well, what about my radios? Dead. What about the vehicles? Dead. How the heck am I going to run a town as chief of police when nothing works? And I was like, you tell me. Yeah, and I, I had a text message just came in a minute ago. Even if the one guy's right and only 10% of the vehicles fail and all the other 90% are running, you and I both know this even creates a bigger problem because the 90% that are running, the first thing they do, if they can even get off the highway, to your point, and they can get to a fuel station, how much fuel do you think we've got in the country on any given day if everybody went to fill up at the same time, Bill? Another question I don't know. Tell me. Um, I am guessing hours, not days, hours. The average fuel station, keep in mind, they're all going to be dead anyway, so you're not going to go pump any fuel out. But even if you had the ability to pull the cap off and stick something down in there and even hand crank fuel out, those tanks with the amount of vehicles, if that 90% figure is correct, I don't think it is because I think it's reversed, but let's say that the 90% figure is correct. There's not enough fuel in the tanks of, of the majority of stations to even handle the cars that would be left running at that point, period, for a day. Yeah, you told me two things today I knew nothing about. I didn't even think of that before. How much fuel is on hand across the country at this given moment? You're telling me it might only be hours or a day or two at most. If everybody lined up in line, there's hours. There's not Ah. even days. Did you ever have a fuel shortage in Denver? 
We have had a few of them in the past. I remember growing up in the 70s here, and we were fortunate because I grew up in a car dealership world, and we had our own on-site tank. So we were very fortunate as a family and didn't have to do the, you know, we had in Colorado, you had a certain digit on your license plate. Those were the days you could fill up versus other yeah. days, and there were still lines at the gas station because of yeah. that. Well, you know, as I live near Asheville, North Carolina. We're dependent on one pipeline to bring the fuel up to the, the distribution centers in Asheville. Now, that pipeline has shut down twice in the last five or six years. Mm-hmm. And within a day, it was getting squirrely. Yep. One of my students was working at a service station. She quit. She said, when it got to the point that I went out to argue with somebody about cutting the line and they pulled a knife on me, I just turned around and went home. I can't blame them. Can't blame them. Yeah. And that, that goes back to, I really, I think, proves my point that if we really had some sort of a huge crisis and there was a run on gas stations, it's like the grocery store. Think of it that way, Bill. There's hours, not days, of fuel on hand. So what we look at here is it is amazing how quickly we go from a civilized society to an on. That's right. Society. That's right. It can be within a matter of hours. That's right. Yeah, people forget. I mean, we're you know, everywhere you drive around, you'll see a tanker truck that's loaded with fuel headed to a particular fuel station. And by the way, those trucks run 24-7. They are fueling stations followed. all the time as we speak. So if you think about it, I mean, we live in a day and age... Fortunately, Bill, to where the majority of people have fuel in that car and they only fill up once a week and not everybody's filling up at the same time. So there's this inventory of fuel already in vehicles. But if every one of those people had to stop and go fill up at the same time, I don't even know if we have hours left, to be honest with you. I mean, we probably have as much left as as long as it takes to pump the tank dry. Whatever that calculation is, (laughs) is what's left. I remember with that power crisis of several years back, there was a caravan of cars following the fuel truck yep. waiting for him to stop. Yep. A, a, a personal story. It, it, Some years back, we got hit by a major hurricane, all right? It blew a lot of stuff down. My father was in a nursing home at the time, last months of his life. Okay. I get called from the nursing home. They need help. So I'm only a mile from the nursing home. I go there through the storm. And they tell me, they're out of water. I said, don't you have a cistern? No. Could you get us some water? Okay, so I, I get in my, my, my truck, and I drive downtown, and I know where there's a water distribution center. Now, this is my small town. It's, mm. it's like that country western yep. song now. Yep. Yeah. Pull up, get out, stand on line, get to the front of the line. I say, I need 50 gallons of water. People behind me went crazy. Hey, who the hell are you? How come you're hoarding water? And I kept trying to tell them, look, I'm from the nursing home. Chief of police, who's a friend of mine, comes over. He's it, it's this, this is a good guy. He's, I don't give up blank, blank, blank. He only gets one gallon of water. Finally, the chief threw like twenty four gallons, four six packs of gallon each into my car. So get the hell out of here now and don't come back. Wow. Now wow. that was within a day. Yep. Within a. Day. Yep. People were going weird. If we have a big EMP type impact, and I'm of the belief that it would be. The you know ninety percent of vehicles not running versus ten, but you, you, even if that number is I don't know fifty fifty again, I don't think it's that high. But even those remaining ten percent that are out there for the folks that really have kind of thought through this and they've got the ability to 
to be resourceful and so on. Again, Bill, they've got to figure out a way because, you know, gas stations don't have generators in the back to power things up and all the pumps are run off electricity. So unless they've got the ability and the locking mechanism or the ability to take the cap off and get into the tank itself. And then, by the way, knowing which tank is which, which you could smell and figure out. But, you know, again, you'd have to have the ability to pull that fuel out and get it into your vehicle. That becomes a problem in and of itself. Well, you know, um, okay, we're talking about nursing homes uh, a bit earlier, and it's in the front of my mind right now. The average nursing home tends to have medication only on a daily to two-day basis. They don't want narcotics in their building as a drug addict. Right. 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 What happens in a nursing home if the power goes down completely and the grid within 48 hours? That's several million people in the United States are in some form of assisted care. True. Can you the hell of that after only two days, True. three days? True. Well, in, in your and book, you know, in one second after, you talk about how much of the population is gone within 30 days. And I've told you before, I think you're a very conservative individual even on that number. And after going through COVID and looking how dependent upon government people are, I don't know that that's even an accurate number today, Bill. I think the number is much higher than that now. And look at the chaos that we were just, um, it was starting to get pretty bad during COVID. Mm-hmm. You know, all you have to need to do is throw one more thing into it, we're gone. Now, in the book, my, my current book, Five Years After, I deal with the issue of plague. That uh, finally a plague starts to break out. How do you control that? Right. Well, and to your point, and by the way, I think it's it's wise of you to write that because as Time goes by, and we have lack of, you know, we're going back in time, basically. There's lack of fruit refrigeration. Without electricity, you don't have the ability to do the things that you once did. And and in turn, you can't keep, and this is always my concern, the cleanliness factor of things starts to change greatly. And as you know, as, as well as most people should at least know this, the biggest killer of individuals prior to the modern era was just disease from lack of cleanliness, period. Well, what was the number? Okay, Civil War was one of my major areas of study. What was the primary death rate for during the American Civil War? What was the primary death most, rate? Yeah, what what killed the most men? Was it gangrene? Diarrhea. Diarrhea. Okay, diarrhea. Wow, wow. I would have thought gangrene. Dysentery and of course food sanitation wow. and such. For every man that was killed in battle, another one died from dysentery or just common diarrhea wow just because it can kill you with right that's true and you know I, I honestly again i learn a lot of things from you every single time you're on that that i hadn't really thought about that but you know people forget without fresh water without without right. heated water without the things that we you know we, again we take for granted because of electricity our sanitation you know people forget this as well if you live not on a septic system but city sewer and water you better have a way you better figure out a way to actually plug everything that you have in the house because if you're down from the septic plant which most are um yeah. guess what you're going to be backing up at some point well you know you said it at the start of the show the sanitation plants close down. So what happens to all that backup of sewerage? It goes right it into the houses. It goes right into the river, dumped in there. People are desperate for water after only three or four or five days. They start taking water from unreliable sources. Salmonella will be a very big killer. If you've ever had salmonella, I had it once. Mm. I was begging for death. And if it wasn't for the hospital, I don't know what would happen to me. I got hauled in at 3 in the morning. 
You know, I was completely dehydrated. Okay, so what uh, advice would you give folks that are listening? Again, we, you know, we talk about being prepared and having things ready to go, and we, I do that in a way where I'm trying to not startle people and scare people. I don't want to work off of fear. Right. Bill, I figure our, our country's done enough of that the last several years. I, I don't want to work off of fear, but more of a common-sense <laughs> approach to making sure that if something like this were to happen, people can survive. What would you recommend folks do for the types of things you're talking about right now? You know, you, you hit the basic question I love to talk about. And this relates to EMP, but it also relates to hurricanes, tornadoes, whatever. The average American town has very limited supplies, food, maximum 20 days, mm-hmm. water, problematic. Every person should have in their home at least a month's worth of supplies. That means fresh water. You can take two-gallon liter bottles of Coke and clean them out, fill them up with water. Next time you go to the market, Stock up on dried soup and Campbell's soup. Right. Ramen noodle even, whatever you got to get. Yeah, just put that in the closet. Most people don't even think about, you know, the storm's coming, fill up the bathtub. That, you can flush your toilet with for several days. Yes. The basic things, uh, if you have medication, too many of us wait because there's only one or two pills left in the bottle. You should always keep at least a month's worth of medication on hand. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the big one as well, command and control and safety. I'm not going to argue for or against guns, but if you make that decision, I only throw one caveat in. If you're going to get weapons, make sure you are trained. Amen. There's nothing more dangerous than somebody That's untrained right. holding a gun. Amen. And saying, it ain't loaded. Yeah. Amen. No, that's exactly right. I had a gun specialist on here a few weeks ago. We talked about the very same thing, and she is a trainer. She's an NRA trainer and said exactly the same thing, Bill. That if you're going to have one, make sure you know how to use it. There's nothing worse than having someone with one that doesn't know how to use it. You know, when I was a kid, the only time in my entire life I remember my father hitting me, slapping me, was I had a BB gun. He came up behind me, and I turned, and the gun crossed my father. Uh, he said, lay it down. Yeah. My father was a DA, uh, DI during the war. He slapped me. And he said, remember that for the rest of your life, and I'm taking your gun for three months. Don't ever make that mistake again. Hmm. Simple lesson, but it's still with me yep. 60 years. Yep, old. that's right. You have to be trained. That's right. You, you have, have to, be. to be. You have to be. You know, and, and really quick, for those of you that are out there that live on sewer, which, by the way, most people in cities have sewer, not septic. Now, if you have a septic system, disregard everything I'm going to say because you're going to be fine because you've got your own built-in system, if you will. You're going to be more pressed to have fresh water to keep things going as you will anything else. But, Bill, if you're somebody that lives in a sewer district, in fact, I would tell you the closer to the sewer plant you are, you probably should be figuring out how are you going to plug the orifices in your house that are going to the sewer, because when things start backing up, it's going to back up into your house as well. Well, uh, let's not talk about all orifices, okay? <laughs> because, yeah, uh, you'll be overloaded within a day or two. That, that's a frightening aspect of this. Yep. All the things we for granted that suddenly don't work. Yep. And again, th- these are things that, I th- again, I don't think even, I'll just be honest, Bill, I've, I've read a lot of folks on the prepping end of things, what to do. They talk about all the same things that you just did, fresh water, this, that, and the other food, and so on. And I'm thinking, okay, if we went even a couple of weeks without any power at all, and that and that wastewater treatment plant is no longer functioning, 
and there's no way to even dispel what's coming down the pipe. To my knowledge, in fact, I know this to, for a fact because we have peat traps in our plumbing for a reason. It keeps the sewer gases from coming back into the house. And by the way, those would have to be made sure that those are functioning as well. But the, the peat traps will not keep things from backing back up. We all know what that's like when you have a mainline issue or something along those lines. It will back up into the house. And no one talks about what I just said a moment ago. How do you solidify your dorm? Domicile, so that as those things start backing up, you're not inundated with sewer. You know, that's a third thing I haven't thought about in a long time. Right. I mean, I'm learning a lot from talking with you today. Yeah, the sewer is just going to back up quickly. Yes. And then you're runneth over. And surely sewage is going to follow you all the days of your life. There you go. All right, we have a call coming in on a, qu- a question or sure. comment on the water end of things. Mark, go ahead. You're on with a Bill Forstian. Go ahead, Mark. Yes, sir. You guys were talking about water storage and, you know, taking like a Coke can, cleaning that out and keeping your water in there to store it. And years ago, I had tried many different types of containers uh, to, to do what you're talking about. And the one thing that I noticed and I wanted to steer everybody away from is the gallon jugs that you get that look like milk jugs. They will leak. They will come apart after time. I don't know why, but for whatever reason, oh, they're thin. They're thin as all get out. Mark is part of it. If you look at those things, they are they are not very stable at all. Yeah, so I would just steer people away from those. But everything else, yep, you know, like a bucket or or uh, like you said, a two liter bottle, something like that. Those things are a little more stout. Or save your deep rock bottles. And I did find the other day, just as a note for everybody out there, you can buy. Off of Amazon, you can buy the the rubber rings that you would get, like, from Deep Rock, or in our, our case, El Dorado Springs is a big water supplier here locally, and they come with the plastic caps. You can actually buy those plastic caps to refill a five-gallon, uh, you know, Deep Rock-type jug and recap it, and now it's all ready to go. Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, so you can do that as well. Mark, I'll let you go. I appreciate that. So, yeah, Bill, I learned that the other day as well. Also, even with the storage and Coke bottles and such, every three to four months you empty it out and you replace it. Very true. If you, unless you've got yeah. those things completely, you know, suck the air out of them, uh, if there's any kind of air in there, as you, you and I both know, that's where some of that bacteria buildup and such can happen. Exactly. Yep. And, and again, these are all things to think through, and I'm not trying to be – you know, weird. My, my wife just texted me and said, man, you're really worried about the sewer thing. Well, I mean, I'm not because I'm on septic, but I worry about everybody else, especially those that are close to the treatment plant, because they're going to be the first ones affected by it. Yeah, but your wife will be the first one that suddenly says, honey, there's something wrong with the toilet. Yeah, I smell something. It's <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. Exactly. Again, there's, you know, it's one of those things, Bill, where people really have to think out of the box and just say, okay, if all power is out, what happens next? It's a really great drill for people to go through in their head. I, I, I urge people, you know, you're sitting around one evening, you're looking for something to talk about other than the latest show of Bachelorette. This might be a very good conversation to people to have. Yes. What we do. And the other key thing, who can you work with in your community? Great point. Great point. Know who reliable friends are. Yep. If you happen to have a nurse or a doctor as a friend, do everything to keep them. That's right. All right, we got another water storage tip really quick. Dennis and Arvada, go ahead. You're on with Bill Forstian. 
Yeah, I hope you don't mind me again, John. No, I just ahead. wanted to say you got a water heater in your house. That's another 40 or 50 gallons point. that you can use carefully. Great point. You do it right. Great point. Yeah. Dennis, thank, thank you, you, by the way. Appreciate that. Yeah, he's right, Bill. And uh, the, one of the really important things you should have, for 20 25 bucks, you can get a water filter that attaches to a two-gallon, you yep. know, two-liter bottle. Yep. And you can take water from outside, feed it through that, it's safe. True. Something as simple as that could save your life. Yep, you you are you are spot on. Again, I, you, uh, by the way, your idea of having kind of even a little get together, or the next time you have a get together, just throw that question out and start getting people spitballing around and talking about things. You'll have people think about things or not, and maybe you're helping them think along these lines. Bill, honestly, most people have never done that exercise. I find I do it all the time, you know, because of what I write. Right. You know, people ask me, "What do I do?" And you, you get into some very serious conversations. And again, you and I have talked today, and in one hour, I've learned several things I didn't know before. Likewise. So all these years of talking about this, I'm still learning. Yeah, great point. Book, folks, five years after. You can pre-order it on Amazon. That's Again, I love having Bill on just because we get along and we have great conversation. And, and honestly, Bill, I do. I, I love having you on. we kind of been doing it on a monthly basis, and I really, really have appreciated it. Someday we'll get to meet face-to-face and love everything that you do, and we'll keep promoting the book. And, again, I, I'm, I'm, we're very blessed to have you on a routine basis. I cannot, I cannot thank you enough for your time. You're one of my favorite interviews. You well, really are. I appreciate it because very much. We get into intelligent things. Thank you. And that's crucial. Thank you. Learning from it. Thank you. Bill, I appreciate it. Have a great rest of your day, sir. God bless, and God bless America. God bless you, too. Appreciate it very much. Again, William Forstchen. It's F-O-R-S-T-C-H-E-N. Look for five years after. Pre-order that book, by the way. It'll help us help him, and really appreciate him joining us. This is Ready Radio. We'll be right back. Don't forget Stack Optical. Anything you need when it comes to eye care, the optometrist, getting your eyes examined, getting the right fit, the lens, everything tailored just to you. That's what Stack Optical can do. 303-321-1578. Summer hailstorms have returned with a bang, leaving roofs across the front range in need of repair or replacement. You need to know what options will be best for your home. Here at Roof Savers Colorado, we pride ourselves in helping homeowners maintain their roofs through hail or shine. We work with any insurance company to get your damaged roof the replacement it needs. However, if you are looking to get more life out of your current roof, we also offer a 100% plant-based rejuvenation treatment that gives new roof performance without all the new roof costs. With over 20-plus years of roofing experience, we believe in helping you determine the right solution for your situation and through every season. If you think your roof has been a victim of hail, contact us to set up your free inspection and receive an honest evaluation about the condition of your roof. Call today at 303 310-6916. That's 303-710-6916. Or go to RoofSaversCO.com to keep a durable roof over your head. Do you know that your windshield is getting more expensive to replace? Most vehicles have options that help keep the vehicles from avoiding accidents or even keep it in the traffic lane. These windshields require more than just a replacement of the glass. They also require a calibration of the computer system to make sure everything is operational to the specifications the manufacturer set when the vehicle was built. You can't trust the traveling glass replacement shop to do these necessary calibrations as they require special equipment and, in most cases, an indoor shop to perform the calibration. 
calibrations. We have two Novus locations that can replace your windshield and also do these calibrations. Novus Fort Collins and Novus Sterling. Both are fully equipped with the latest technology to service your vehicle properly. Find either location by going to any of our websites, ready-radio.com, drive-radio.com, or fixitradio.com. Just click on the Novus link. That's Novus Auto Glass. Have you been thinking about a new pair of glasses? Maybe some prescription sunglasses? Well, look no further than Stack Optical. Since 1968, yes, you heard me right. Since 1968, Stack Optical has been providing the most comprehensive quality ocular care for their patients. This family-owned business is proud to be one of the few optical offices that has their own on-site eyeglass production and eyeglass repair studio. Stack Optical, located at 2233 South Monaco Parkway, features the most extensive lines of eyeglass frames, sunglasses, and contact lenses to ensure that you love your appearance and experience superior comfort. Our comprehensive eye exams proactively diagnose eye conditions and diseases while providing the most accurate vision care. We welcome you to experience a lifetime of superior ocular care from doctors that are devoted to your eye health. Call now for your $69 eye exam, 303-321-1578. At Stack Optical, you'll see the difference. In such an uneasy and unpredictable time that we live in, growing your own food is becoming a necessity. Colorado Greenhouse Builders is a local family-owned and operated business that specializes in custom cedar greenhouses. Owners Jason and Annette have over 35 years of construction management experience and have built multi-million dollar greenhouse structures. Colorado Greenhouse Builders is one of the few companies that specializes in geothermal heating. Geothermal heating utilizes the sun's light and heat to create a year-round growing opportunity. Their geothermal heating has proven to be a gardener's dream, even in our cold Colorado winters. They can provide a custom consultation that includes an evaluation of your site and then provide recommendations and a custom plan for all your growing needs. Call Colorado Greenhouse Builders at 720-539-9806 or find them at ready-radio.com. That's ready-radio.com. All right, we've got Jennifer really quick. We're going to make this as fast as we can. i got 30 seconds. Go ahead, Jennifer. Yeah, I purify all my water through a Berkey, and then I put it in two-liter bottles, and I rotate through it. And nice. as I need to make coffee or tea, I take it out of those two-liter bottles. Great so idea. it's always fresh. Great and idea. And the other thing is aluminum uh, for casing for around to protect something from EMP, useless. It might as well be saran wrap. If it's not a ferric Base right. metal, FD, right. iron, it's not going to stop an electromagnetic yep. pulse. You're correct, Jennifer. I will cover, John, i got to let you go. I'll, we'll cover more of this next Friday. Trust me. I'll just add this to the notes. We'll get into the water thing. John, call me then. We can get into more details of it. we got to run. Uh, next show's coming up in a moment. This has been Ready Radio. Ready-radio.com is the website. KLZ Radio. Thank you very much. The views and opinions expressed on KLZ 560 are those of the speaker, commentators, hosts, their guests, and callers. They are not necessarily the views and opinions of Crawford Broadcasting or KLZ Management, employees, associates, or advertisers. KLZ 560 is a Crawford Broadcasting God and Country station.